like you to turn in your Bibles to John, the 16th chapter, John chapter 16. And um, I want to begin to read in verse 4. Um, I'm going to begin to read in the second half of verse 4. <clears throat> and then we're going to read through verse 15. So um, right, right there it says... Um, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, just about halfway down. <clears throat> I did not say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks him, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the freedom that we have in this time and in this place to gather together and to hear your word as a family. God, we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would be in our midst this morning. Can you say amen to that, saints? Let your Holy Spirit, Father, be in our midst. Open our ears, open the eyes of our heart. God, to receive from you, let your Holy Spirit flow. We give you full permission Holy Spirit of God to flow in this place. God, I ask that you would have mercy on the frailty of my flesh and that you would use uh, these lips, this tongue to speak to your holy people today, this word. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said. So for the last several weeks, uh, Mother's Day uh, kind of uh, apart, uh, but since Easter, I've been talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the impact and the meaning of the resurrection. I could probably preach on that for a year and still not exhaust everything, um, but I feel uh, prompted of the Lord to kind of shift gears here and to talk about what happened after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and what he had for his disciples, the instruction he had for them, the plan that he had for, that, uh, for them, and things as they unfolded, and really, I'm going to begin to preach about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in one form or another all summer, all the way through to the fall, we're going to be talking about the Spirit of God. We're going to call it Summer in the Spirit, and summer has uh, begun early, right? Right here in the middle of spring, and we're going to talk about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to begin with this passage because this is Jesus talking to his disciples before he suffered, right? So he's He's already preparing the way for what's going to transpire 
after his passion and his resurrection. And he is explaining to them um, some very crucial truths. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I first came to the Lord, um, and, and w- as with many Christians, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, assured that all of you here feel the same way, have felt the same way uh, at one point or another, you just want to see Jesus. You just think, what would it have been like to be one of those 12 to see him, to walk with him, uh, to touch him, to have him touch you, and, and, and his facial expressions, his tone of voice, um, how he liked his fish cooked, right? I mean, all those, all those things about Jesus. You just want to be like him. And when I, I remember first reading this passage when I was just a baby Christian, and uh, verse 7 in particular just struck me. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And I just want to say, stop the presses right there. How could it possibly be to my advantage that I don't see Jesus, that Jesus is elsewhere? Uh, And obviously the great hope of every believer is that we would see him again, that we'd see him face to face and that we would be in his presence. So this always struck me as a mysterious passage that in the course gets even more mysterious. And we're going to talk about that But you can imagine sitting at that table at the Last Supper where Jesus says, I've said these things to you, and you're filled with grief. You're sad to hear uh, that I'm I'm going away, and the the sort of ominous nature of what Jesus is talking about. But he puts his finger on something that is very important. How many believe that the Word of God is true? Okay, so now he says it's to our advantage— that he go so that he can send the, 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 the Holy Spirit. And the word that is used there is paraclete in Greek, paraclete. That's one of those words that it's probably better if we just learn the word instead of translating the word. Because it seems like almost every translation that you read has a different rendering of what that, what that word uh, should be uh, rendered into English. How, how should we understand it? Here, and a couple other translations, translate paraclete as the helper. Others translate it as uh, the comforter. Some translate it as the counselor, and a number translate it as the advocate. An advocate is like a lawyer. So you're like, well, wow, that's a big spread. What, what, are, we, what are we driving at here? Paraclete Uh, If you break down the meaning of the word, it literally means one called alongside to help, right? Somebody who's there by you. If you've ever uh, ever, uh, been in a situation of litigation uh, and you're frightened under the circumstances, anything had happened, and you've got a good lawyer next to you, a real real good one that, that, that cares for you, that believes in your cause, um, uh, all the lawyer jokes that are out there don't apply to them. Um, they're, they're right there with you. They're comforting you. They're helping you. They're, they're saying, say this, don't say that. And they're, 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 they're on your side and they're for your cause. That's the idea, but at a divine and spiritual level. That's who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, this is the way it is. That Unless I go, he can't come to you. Now, we have to put an asterisk on that. And, and this is a misunderstanding a lot of people have, especially about the Old Testament. So we've got to understand and put in, in the context of 
uh, the whole Bible and the event of Jesus' coming, what he means by that. It's never present in Genesis 1, the first of the first book of the Bible, and it says the Spirit of, of God was brooding over the waters. The Spirit of God is ever-present, and he was present. Read about the great saints of the Old Testament. Read about how the anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and came upon David and came upon the prophets and how they ministered. His, his Holy Spirit was present. So what is Jesus driving at here? Here's what he's driving at. With the coming of Jesus, this is God Almighty in the flesh stepping onto the, the stage of his own creation. Once that happens, everything changes. Now we've stepped into the age of the new covenant. And things cannot remain the same. And so Jesus says to his disciples in the same discourse, elsewhere in the same discourse, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So once this happens, once that line has been crossed, God himself says, I'm never going to treat my people the same again. Because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, now the work of the Spirit is, is present. But, but Jesus, because this is the paradox of, G, of God becoming flesh, there's great power in it, but by necessity, he's limited. Why? Why is he limited? Well, he limited himself. This is what we're going to be talking about in our study in Philippians on Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Jesus, the word is he divested himself of his glory. In other words, he allowed himself to be stripped of glory, and he allowed himself to be like you and me. If he didn't, then the cross wouldn't have the effect that it has. He became just like us. How many are glad to know Jesus suffered like us? Under, he understands us because he was exactly like us. Okay? But that means he's limited. He could, like any other man, he can only be in one place at a time. And God wants to do something at a level of the entire world. And he doesn't want it to be where his disciples have to bring people to, to him. Well, this, this one we couldn't set free. Or this one, there's this problem. Bring, get Jesus. Haul him over here. Haul him over there. He's got to go to this place and go to that place. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to make it where you all can do it. And you can do great works like I'm doing. And if we weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. But he said, you're going to do even greater works. Now, you say, how is that going to happen? The paraclete. The power of the Holy Spirit coming. Now, this passage right here is really just for starters. And this is why we're going to be talking about this for a number of weeks and the impact. This is kind of a primer. It's kind of the opening shot that the, that the Word of God speaks about the nature of the Holy Spirit under the terms of this new covenant, this blood covenant that Jesus purchased by the power of his blood. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what Jesus talks about here in reference to the Holy Spirit. He's basically, he's, he's, he's covering some basics. He's talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what are the roles of the Holy Spirit. We already get an idea of this from the whole thing that he's the, he's the one called alongside to help, right? He's the comforter. He's the helper. We're already getting an idea from that. He's there to help us. What, we wanted, what I, what I want to share with you today is all these different things that he describes in these following verses. This is to be followed in the light of Galatians 5.25. Galatians 5.25 says, 
If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Can you say that with me? In step with the Spirit. In step with the Spirit. This is what we want to do. So it's important if we have a passage like this and we say, amen, I want to obey that. I want to be in step with the Holy Spirit. Well, we got we to gotta understand who the Holy Spirit is. We've got to understand what he's doing in order to keep in step with him. So that's, that's our goal here. Now, the first major role that he has that Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Conviction is a major work of the Holy Spirit. That, that word that is used for conviction, another way we could look at that word or render that word is expose. The Holy Spirit exposes things. Now, the way the Holy Spirit exposes is he exposes things redemptively. Don't confuse that with the way the enemy wants to expose. The enemy, this is, this is, the, this is the work of the devil. Revelation 12 calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. So the enemy wants to expose in a way to destroy. But the Holy Spirit wants to expose in a way to redeem. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring things out. He wants to reveal things for what they are so that he can redeem them. Now, this passage right here has been one of the most mysterious passages across all the history of the church. Ever since the Gospel of John was written, what does he mean by convict the world in, in, in reference to sin and righteousness and judgment and these, this thing? How, what, okay, what, what is he talking about? Well, look, what this really comes down to is what was about to happen and the fallout of it. This is the culmination of what we could call the Jesus event. Jesus coming to the earth, Jesus walking among us, Jesus being condemned by the priests and by the Romans, crucified, dies, is buried, and rises from the dead. Now, it all comes down to the world's view of that over against God's view of that. And that's the big question, right? That's the, that's the dividing line between those around the world who are worshiping God today, who honor the house of God and who are Christians, who call themselves Christians and serve God sincerely, and those who say, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to go to church. Why would I go to church? That's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't believe any of that stuff. What's, what's the difference there? Well, the world looks at this Jesus event and says, you know, 2,000 years ago there was some itinerant preacher, carpenter guy, and he thought he was something, and maybe he was, but at the end of the day, some political forces got mad at him, and they killed him. And his disciples were so deluded, they, you know, they thought there was something to that. They thought that that had some sort of a meaning. That's the world. That's the world's view. The Christian view, the mind of the Holy Spirit, says no. The mind of the Holy Spirit says this is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. 
He came and he walked among us. And when the powers that be wrongly, unjustly convicted Jesus and sent him to a criminal's death, they were playing into God's hands. Jesus was crucified, but since he never sinned, death couldn't hold him because death is the consequence of sin. And it didn't stick. The judgment didn't stick. So he rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father. That's why he says, in terms of righteousness, because I go to the Father. This is the, he's, this is the, this is the proper judgment. And what the world thinks is, even in their, on their best day, where they're like, well, Jesus is probably a good guy. But it's just another sad story where good guys finish last. Where bad guys, the, bad, the darkness wins. And the Holy Spirit says, no. The ruler of this world stands condemned. He's been judged. Through the very events that he tried to use to defeat light, darkness was defeated. That's the difference. Those are the two stories. And the Holy Spirit comes to work that story. To reveal, to expose the lie that the world believes for what it is. And to, to reveal the truth. And to convince people of that truth. For this reason, if you go and you read in the book of Acts, every example of preaching in one way or another, I'm talking about Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, Stephen's preaching in Acts chapter 7, Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 13. In every way they preach, and they, those are different examples of sermons. Each one of those messages unfolds differently. But in every one, in one form or another, it basically says this to the hearers. Your sin crucified Jesus. Your sin took him to the cross, and your sin kept him there until he was dead. This is the spirit that comes across in, in a passage that I preached on, on, uh, on Palm Sunday. Zechariah 12.10, it says, And they will look upon me, the one that they have pierced, and they will grieve for me as one grieves for a dear only son. It's this revelation that our sin did Jesus in. Our sin. And the Holy Spirit impacts us for our good. That's why on Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets done preaching, what does it say about those who heard his message? And those who heard were cut to the heart. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the story, whatever story that they had heard, oh, this is another would-be Messiah, this is another, uh, you know, wannabe leader, the Holy Spirit accompanied Peter in his preaching, and the message came home. It hit him. And they were cut to the heart. And that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the redeeming conviction of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't beat him over the head. And the result of his preaching was not them going away and saying, oh, we're doomed, or we feel bad, or we... No! That conviction hooked them and drew them in under their own redemption, and they were saved. They were redeemed through that preaching. Now, the other, the other option is what you get in Acts chapter 7. And this is what happened with Stephen. With Stephen. Stephen was saying the same thing. 
in another form, but he was saying the same thing. And what did the people do? It says they literally put their fingers in their ears and screamed to drown out what he was saying. We got a whole world, saints, right now that's doing exactly that. They're putting their fingers in their ears, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs to drown out. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that message. We have a choice. We have a choice when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, God has been dealing with me. That I would pray that a spirit of conviction would come into this church. Why? Because we're any different than anybody else? No, because we're the same as everybody else. We're all people that need Jesus. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that he can give. Peter, in his second sermon, he says, God is sending his Holy Spirit to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. That's what he wants to do in you and me. He wants to do a deep, powerful cleaning. He wants to Holy Spirit, Shekinah glory, steam cleaning. That's what he wants to do because there's no greater blessing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are dealing with a world that wants to put his fingers in its ears. And saints... I hate to say it, but it's right there in the word. There's a trend of those who operate in the name of the Lord to do the exact same thing. Jesus said, this isn't anything new. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, he said, I know you. You're neither hot nor cold. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. They were lukewarm in their convictions. They're lukewarm in their convictions. A, 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 a person, a church, this isn't popular preaching. I'm going to admit it right now. I'm going to admit it. This isn't popular preaching. But it's the truth. And God wants to set us free. And God wants to use us. He wants to use us, saints. He wants to use us. We lose our convictions. We're like salt that lost its savor. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to accept. We're supposed to be truly tolerant. Not this false tolerance the world peddles. But we're supposed to be genuinely patient and loving and tolerant of each other's foibles and faults and <laughs> difficulties. But the second you give up your convictions, you're toast. You're just done. God wants us to walk in. Listen, the word of God says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's, it's what it says. 
It's what it says. God wants us to live holy, and he's enabled us. He's given us everything that is necessary for God, life and godliness. He hasn't, he hasn't left us as orphans. He's not said, okay, keep up this impossible standard. I'm just going to set you adrift. Keep up this impossible standard, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's going to be a final exam at the end. That, that's law. That's what Jesus came. That's what Jesus nailed to the cross. That whole picture is done. He's empowering us by his Holy Spirit. He wants us to walk in this, in this holiness, right? It just seems to me like if the devil doesn't have us in one ditch, he gets us in the other. There was, there was a day when people, Pentecostals, we're a Pentecostal church, for, in their desire for holiness, they came up with what, what we're often called the holiness codes, right? So women have to wear, uh, they can't wear pants. Um, they have to wear dresses that go down to their ankles. No makeup, can't cut your hair. Men can do whatever they want. But the women, I remember the first church I got into, they, uh, to be a member, you had to swear off of uh, not only going to the movie theater, oh my goodness, Den of Satan. But you couldn't play cards. I mean, I remember reading that, I can't play cards. I mean, does it say, like, I'm looking for the word tarot there. Like, that I get, you know, no tarot cards. But you can't play any play, playing cards. They're just, everything, just, they called it vain amusements of the world. So what happens is, when you, when you come up with this, these legalistic standards, you end up with a self-righteousness, a false holiness, and there's, there's problems with that stuff. And so that's what I call one ditch. But here's the problem. In the process of ditching the holiness codes, which some of them needed to be ditched, you end up in the other ditch. You end up with no standards at all. Well, that's not right either. Okay? We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't live that way either. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We need to live right, and we need to have a conscience. And we need to listen to the voice of our conscience. I, you know, this is something where we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, saturate ourselves in prayer, draw near to the Lord, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. When I first came to the Lord in high school, um, I was a typical male 17 year old yes one time I was 17 does anybody know how a typical male 17 year old thinks that's how I thought that's how I talked that's how I acted I was raised in a traditional church I, I wasn't in any gangs I wasn't you know I wasn't doing drugs I wasn't I, I, I but I'm just telling you, I was a typical, carnal, godless 17-year-old. And Jesus got a hold of me. Somehow it got into me that I wanted to be a good guy. And the more I wanted to be a good guy, the more I realized there wasn't a good thing in me. And I, the Lord began to deal with me about this, that, and the other in my life. Does anybody want to know what the this, that, and the other up were? It's none of your business. 
But God began to deal with me about this, that, and the other. And he just began to whisper these things to me. And I was like, is that really wrong, Lord? I mean, it was like a conversation in my heart. Is that really wrong? That's wrong. You need to leave that. He never beat me over the head. It was very gentle. And I'd work through a week of that. And the Lord would be like, okay, now I want I want to, well, let's move on. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's deal with this over here. That's wrong too? Is that really wrong? I remember asking my dad. Now, the Bible says this. Is that really true? I mean, I, are you telling me I really can't think that way? I really can't? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what the Bible's saying. Yeah, that's. But it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Listen. You can't run if you don't walk first. How many want to run in the Lord? Run! But you can't run unless you walk first. You got to listen to the little things. You can't have a razor edge if you're dealing with a rock, first you gotta you gotta chip the rock, and you gotta you can't sharpen a rock. You you have to you have to deal with the big things and say yes to those things. Say Amen, Lord. Submit, yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit about those things, and then you go to the deeper things. People, I'm gonna tell you, there are people in this room that have longed to be used to the Holy Spirit. You've longed to be used to the Holy Spirit. You want it's a it's a it's a deep dream of yours. I want to be used. You can think back in the, in the depths of your heart, moments in your life where God, you had an encounter with God, where God was dealing with you, where you felt like, God can use me. God can use me. Well, that, that, that's not just an imagination. That's not a fantasy. God, that's real. That is the defining reality of your life. God wants to use you. But to get to there from here, there's, it's not just flipping a switch. There's things you've got to get through. Right? There's, there's things in the Holy Spirit that I need to say yes in my conscience to these things. And after I conquer that thing, then he can take me to the next step. We do it step by step. As the book of Isaiah says, line upon line, precept upon precept. One step after another. And God's going to walk us into maturity as a, individuals and as a church to where he can do greater things. We, we step into the river of God. First ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, then so deep we can't cross it. But, but we got we to gotta go that way. And we do that by yielding to the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit dealing with you right now? Are you inviting the Holy Spirit? You're sticking your fingers in your ears. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Deal with me. Let, help me say yes to this one thing you're dealing with so that next week we can go to the next thing. Amen, Pastor. That is good preaching. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I needed to hear it and I wasn't. Good. Any feedback? That was just the first thing. Second thing. Second thing. He says this. When the spirit of truth comes, that's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, one of his titles. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He's the spirit of truth. This is truth. The very nature of the Holy Spirit. How many want to stay in step with the Holy Spirit? Amen. What the Spirit's doing, we want to stay in step with him. He's the spirit of truth. So to stay in step with what the spirit of God does, we've got to speak truth. 
We've got to be truth speakers. And this isn't just um, a little thing. This is comprehensively in our lives. I want to flip over to Ephesians 4 for a second. Ephesians 4 starting in verse 25. Listen, listen to this passage. And this is where context is so important. Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, he's not saying, hey, be angry. Well, I'm not angry, but be angry. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you're angry, given that you're angry, given that anger happens in life, in the midst of it, don't sin. Don't let it be sinful anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thieves no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now listen to this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Now look at verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How many know if you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're driving him away? That's sticking your fingers in your ears. Now look at the verse immediately before, verse 29, and the verse immediately afterward, verse 31. What does it say? In, both, in all of that, in the opening shot of the whole passage is how we talk. Now I'm not saying you can't grieve the Holy Spirit by being violent, for example, or being sexually impure, for example. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But it's interesting that for the, the one place in this, grieving the Holy Spirit of God, it has to do how we talk. Paul's not speaking whole cloth. He's not just making this up. This is straight from the Old Testament. This is, this is from the Psalms where it says, and they, it's talking about the children of Israel in the desert, and it says, and they grieved God's Holy Spirit. How do they grieve the Holy Spirit? How they talked. How they talked. Now, we, we sang a beautiful song. Speak to me. God, speak to me. Speak to me. He speaks in a lot of ways. Speak to me. But there's a connection between our mouth and our ears. What we speak ourselves affects how we can hear. If you look in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had this vision the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And the angels were crying, holy, holy, holy. There's that holiness again. Holy Spirit. Holy. And it shook heaven. If you think, man, every time I invite God to do his thing, I feel like I'm getting shook. Feel like I'm getting shook till my teeth come out of my head. I'm just getting shook so bad. Well, if his voice shakes heaven, if his holiness shakes heaven, what's it going to do for mortal flesh on earth? So wel welcome to the club, right? But what was Isaiah's response? Woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Here's the work of the Holy Spirit for those who desire him. God, take a coal from your altar and come and touch my lips and purify my lips. Purify my lips. Let the Holy Spirit convict you on how you speak. Because as that happens, then you can hear. The moment Isaiah did that, and the coal touched his lips, and it says, your sin is atoned for, he heard. He heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said, who will we send and who will go for us? How many want to be used of the Holy Spirit? Want to be used of God? We've got to have the coal touch our lips before we can hear the call in our heart. Before that call arrives home to us. And then things unfold where he can use us. I want to tell you a story. My pastor told me this story years, years ago. And he did it publicly, so I'm, I can do it publicly. And most of the people involved are passed away now. But this was, this was in the late 80s, 30 years ago. The pastor told the story about his aunt. Her name was Beulah, Aunt Beulah. Um, Beulah was just a little girl, maybe 14 or 15 years old, naive, innocent, raised in church. And she, uh, some boys invited her to a swimming hole after school one day with a bunch of other kids, and she went. And um, they took Beulah and they raped her. Took her innocence from her. She's naive, innocent, um, didn't, was ashamed, didn't want to tell anybody, didn't tell anybody. And uh, several months later, Beulah collapsed. They took her to the hospital and her little body was full of syphilis. Well, they had medicines to treat her, but there was a nurse in that hospital that went to Beulah's church, and that nurse started working the phones and said, Beulah is nothing but a little harlot, and it destroyed Beulah. It destroyed her life. The church did her far more harm than those sinful boys did. Um, thankfully, God restored her. God restored her to himself, restored her to the body of Christ. But a tremendous damage had been done. I want to tell you, saints, it is an affront to God and a grief to the Holy Spirit when we allow corrupt talk to come out of our mouth. And so much of it is done in the name of the church, in the name of holiness, in the name of sharing a prayer request, dare I say. Well, I just want to share this with you. Well, don't share it with me. Pray. We need to watch what comes out of our mouth. 
We need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We can talk. God wants you to talk. God gave you a tongue to talk. doesn't want you to become a deaf mute. He went around healing deaf mutes. But he wants us to speak the gentle, loving, edifying. Are we edifying? Is what, is what we are saying, is it driving people from the church? Or is it calling people into the church? Is it alienating people from each other? You know, there's not much that, I mean, the Bible talks a whole lot more about what God loves. But here and there, it does talk about what he hates. And one of the things he hates, it says he hates it, is somebody who stirs up strife between brothers. He says, it says he hates it. So let's not, let's, let's not uh, be out of step with the Holy Spirit on it. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. And um, in my life, in my lifetime, I've been guilty of that. Everybody has. We're all like Isaiah. <laughs> We're people of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. But you know what? He's got a coal from the altar with your name on it. Amen? How many could say amen to that? Glory to God. We're going to be that people. We are that people. And the last thing it says in verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a simple but very profound point. The Holy Spirit by his nature glorifies Jesus. You know, every great revival and renewal movement that's ever happened in the church has happened in a way that is central on Jesus, focuses on Jesus, glorifies Jesus. Why? Why is that? That's not coincidence. Because it's Holy Spirit friendly. It allows the Holy Spirit to flow. To stay in step with the Spirit, you talk about Jesus. You glorify Jesus. You're all about Jesus. If you look back across the span of history, of all the people who were famous, all the people who drew glory to themselves. Those people are the footnotes of history. I could rattle off the names of rulers that made people quake at the knees. And for you, it'd be I'd have to go into a whole classroom session just to explain who they were. I was looking at some of the ruins when I was in the Holy Land recently. I got some books on some of the ruins and I, I looked at the ruins of a city called Bethshan. It was the capital of the Decapolis. You read, if you're reading the Gospels, it mentions the Decapolis, this ten cities area that was around to the, to the east and the south of the Sea of Galilee. Gentile cities filled with wickedness and probably when Jesus talks about the prodigal son going off and squandering his father's wealth, that's what the people have understood, that's where he went. And the capital was, was Bethshan. By the time Jesus, around that time, it was a glorious Roman city, very filled with pagan temples, right there in Israel. Ruins today. But you go there, and, and there's a, a prominent uh, uh, mosaic in one of the uh, excavated buildings. It's a, it's a synagogue. And there's uh, this mosaic, and people went to great pains to put their names, to spell their names with these little mosaic tiles, to spell their names in the floor, to say, hey, we, we were the ones who gave to this. We were the ones that made this happen, and we want credit for it. That's what they were saying. And they, they put it in the floor there. 
the names are now utterly meaningless. They don't mean anything to us. Oh, somebody named Jonathan and his mother paid for this. Huh. Think of that. Anyway, uh, look, we're late for the bus and we need to get down to the next site. That's what it amounts to. Anybody ever hear Jesus? Anybody ever heard of him? Those who give themselves to the glory of Jesus. This is the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel is those who seek to retain their lives, to save their lives, to draw things to themselves, lose it all. Those who lose their lives for the gospel's sake, retain it for eternal life. Those who glorify Jesus, incredibly, themselves end up being glorified. In a glory that lasts forever. Somebody described to me eternal glory. Think about the 4th of July and, the, and the, the grand finale of the fireworks show. Anybody like that? Boom, pow, pow, you know, you got all that stuff. And everybody's, ooh, ah, you hear everybody, ooh, and ah, and everything. Imagine the moment of greatest glory, but it lasts forever. That dawning on your heart, that impact on your senses. That's, that's how God sees your future. But to collect on that, you've got to glorify Jesus. You've got to glorify Jesus in everything you say, you do. I want to invite Pastor Joseph to come. And I want us to begin to pray. Just where you are, I want you to call on Jesus. Just call on his name. The word says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God wants to, he wants to draw us near. He wants to draw us near. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we give you reign. I feel impressed of the Lord this morning. If you are in a place and you, you just say, Lord, I desire, I desire a deeper conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I desire to allow Holy Spirit to speak to me, to renew me. Could be you've known the Lord for years, but you just want the Holy Spirit of God to reign in your life. You want to be in step with the Holy Spirit. You want to be in step. You want to, you want to respond to that. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward here me and pray because that's my prayer that's my prayer this morning if you you say I want to say yes to the Holy Spirit I want to say yes to the conviction of the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit we give you rain coming close others are coming if you can't stand you can come and sit on the front pew we just want to we just want to invite the Holy Spirit of God. We want to give Him free reign. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing, saints. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a blessed thing. Conviction of the Holy Spirit 
not just change your life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will rest upon you and through you will change other people's lives. God, we, we ask for the rain, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Would you just put your right hand on your heart, wherever you are. Let's pray this prayer together. Pray after me, but make it your own prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. I receive the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, convict me. Speak to me in my conscience, in the depth of my heart, that I go to the next place in you. Take me deeper into the river of your spirit. Take a coal from the altar and cleanse my lips. Cleanse me, God, of everything that's unclean in me. Lord, I ask that your glory would be my number one desire. Let your glory be my desire, Lord. In your name we pray.